Welcome to the Veterinary Career Services Podcast, a show for veterinarians, veterinary specialists, and hospital management. Join industry expert and president of VCS, Laura Anderson, as she interviews seasoned and accomplished veterinarians that share their paths and provide insights that can help professionals achieve their career goals. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Andrew Levine, who is a surgeon and also the owner and founder of Veterinary Specialists of Sydney. This hospital is located in the southern part of Sydney, an incredibly beautiful city that is culturally diverse, vibrant, has beautiful beaches, and offers a tremendous lifestyle. Dr. Levine graduated from the University of Sydney, the School of Veterinary Science, in 2006. For the first three years of his professional career, he worked as a general practitioner in Sydney while simultaneously completing a postgraduate certificate in veterinary studies for Murdoch University. In 2009, he moved to London to complete a one-year rotating internship at the Royal Veterinary College, University of London. Following this, in 2010, he accepted a position at Louisiana State University, where he completed a surgical internship. In 2011, Dr. Levine commenced a three-year surgical residency at the Animal Medical Center in Manhattan, New York. After completing his residency, Dr. Levine was a practicing referral surgeon in Washington, D.C. before moving back home to Australia in 2017. He is both a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and the European College of Veterinary Surgeons, as well as a member of the Australian College of Veterinary Scientists. He is versed in all complex orthopedic, neurological, soft tissue, including oncologic and interventional radiologic procedures. His special interests include cruciate repair, fracture repair, and joint replacement. He is certified in micrototal hip, knee, and elbow surgery. Dr. Levine, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So your academic and professional career has taken you to quite a few different continents, and now you're back home and running a large specialty hospital. Can you share a little bit about your academic background and why you made the choices you did? Yeah, thanks. It's been an interesting career, as all veterinarians can really relate to. I think being a vet opens up possibilities you know, not just where you are, but all over the world. And um, as Australians, we're, we're known for traveling um, and going abroad. Um, and I did vet school back here in Australia. But, you know, when I was going through vet school, one of my heroes or mentors, uh, a veterinarian that I, I really respected, he was a um, equine surgeon, actually, of all things. He had um, done his training at Michigan State University um, as a specialist equine surgeon. And um, he came back here and I just thought he was amazing. Um, he could he could do any surgery in, in these horses um, and they would always go well and he just had all the answers for everything. And I just thought, I want to be like that guy. Um, and so, but I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be an equine surgeon. Um, and and then I hit my final year of vet school and I went, crikey, uh, 
equine surgery is cool, but small animal surgery is even better. Um, so, you know, I like the fact that you didn't just do colics and lameness and, and no offense to equine surgeons, but, you know, being a small animal surgeon, we can, we can do spines and complex orthopedics and hip replacements, all sorts of things. Um, and so I thought, right, I'm going to be a small animal surgeon, and I, but I still want to be like this guy. So I'm going to go over to America and become a specialist just like him. And so I, I thought, well, I need to first be a good GP before I'm a good specialist. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to learn the things that they could do, like communicate with clients and talk about worming and vaccinations and things like that. So I did that. And then, you know, progressively, you know, it was, it was for a finite time. I knew that. But then I thought, okay, time to, to move to the States and become a specialist. And to do that, I needed to do an internship. So my first internship landed me in London and, and, and that, there I went. Um, and then I was lucky enough to um, get a phone call from LSU and I went, right, I'll go over there. And, and from there I stumbled into New York, into a residency at AMC. Um, and that was quite funny too. Because I almost didn't apply for that residency, uh, but my housemate at the time was like, why not? You should um, apply. So I did. And uh, then I went and interviewed over there and, and really struck up a great rapport with the surgeons there. And I thought the place was amazing. And, and so I ended up suddenly in New York and uh, the rest is history, I guess. Uh-huh. And so your focus in orthopedics was while you were at AMC. So, yeah, um, orthopedics was um, definitely something I, I was always interested. I, I actually dabbled in it as a GP um, when I was, before I was a specialist, and I really enjoyed it there. But the, I guess to become proficient at orthopedics requires really good uh, mentorship and guidance and training. And um, I was extremely lucky that at AMC, um, I happened to, I get, I got inspired again. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that vet does for me is you, you meet people and you aspire to be like them. Um, so I got to AMC and, and they didn't really have a, a good joint replacement program. Um, it had kind of fallen by the wayside as, as the folks that had done it had left. Um, so I reached, I was interested in joint replacement, but didn't have the people to train me. So I reached out to Bill Lisker in Texas, who was practicing at Gulf Coast at the time, and asked him if I could come down and do an externship with him, which he agreed to. And so I met Bill Lisker, and um, he became sort of my next inspiration. And I thought, I want to be like Bill. Um, so, yeah, I spent a lot of time with him. And then he ended up coming up to New York and starting up the joint replacement program um, there, which, which together with uh, Rob Hart, uh, Dr. Rob Hart, they, they really took hip replacement to the next level. Um, so that, that certainly inspired me. And then I was even, well, and then I finished my residency and thought I want to end up at a place that does a lot of joint replacement. And ended up working in D.C. One of the reasons I picked that practice was that they had a very close relationship with Dr. Dennis Marcel and Little from uh, NC State at the time. And he would come up and do total hips with us um, 
while I was at, at this practice. And so he became um, a really great mentor when I was sort of beginning my total hip replacement career. And so I learned a ton of stuff between Bill and, and Denis. Um, they, they just really helped me become proficient at total hips. And from total hips, you, you sort of gain the, the framework to do it, a lot of other orthopedic procedures. And, and so that's really become my, my area of interest. So it looks like you pursued other courses after you finished your residency in orthopedics as well. I did. You know, I think that's, that courses these days are, are really a great way of improving your skills. Personally, I find that, you know, we attend these big congresses and we feel really good and we, we certainly learn a lot. But when you really want to become great at something or become proficient quickly, I, I, I almost find these days that these focused intensive courses that exist are, are even better. Um, so, you know, for example, the Akendo Center has been amazing in Vegas for um, bringing these courses um, to not just general practitioners but also specialists. So, yeah, I, I've definitely um, sought out whether it's total knee or, or total hip or um, CBLO, um, the Q course, things like that. Arthrex courses are fantastic. I find myself these days keeping an eye out for, um, for these courses and attending them where I can. So, Andrew, can you tell us more about how you developed your expertise in orthopedic procedures? Yeah, that's, that's a complicated uh, question. Uh, or, or a very open question, and I could go back a long way. I certainly was interested in um, orthopedics very early on in my career. I've got a funny story where I had a, um, a pet owner bring me a pet rat with a broken leg. And so I became interested in orthopedics, um, as I was saying, quite, quite early on in my career. I was going to tell you my pet rat story, but basically the, the story was quite funny. This lady brought me this pet rat that she kept in her undies drawer. <laughs> and um, what happened was her daughter had closed her undies drawer and broke the rat's femur. And she, she turned up and she said, can you fix this rat's leg? And I thought, well, I've never fixed a broken rat before, but sure, why not? Um, so I gave it a try and it, and it worked out great. And she was super grateful. Um, but that wasn't my first sort of foray into orthopedics, but it certainly was a funny one that I remembered. Um, but so, yeah, I dabbled in orthopedics when I was certainly before I was a specialist. But once I became a specialist and started my residency training as well, um, I was really inspired to by my mentors to become the best version I could of myself. Um, so... For me, you know, meeting all these different folks along the way, um, whether it's, you know, being Bill Lisker or Dennis Marcel and Little and others, um, they've really inspired me to become super proficient at orthopedics. And, and for me, um, I get nothing, you know, I get great pleasure out of looking at an orthopedic x-ray at the end of a, of a complex surgery and not only just criticizing but knowing, and knowing what you could do better, but seeing seeing what you've done and, and being proud of that. Um, I, I really enjoy that side of, of veterinary practice. Fixing things. That's what I hear a lot of surgeons say. They, they like to fix things. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. We, um, we're just fancy carpenters, really. <laughs> <laughs> and so what about your IR? Was that 
mainly at uh, AMC? Yeah, I was I was super fortunate to um, get exposed to interventional radiology at AMC. Um, obviously, you know everybody knows Dr. Chick Weiss and Dr. Alison Barrent, who uh, have become really the grandfathers and and um, of IR in the veterinary profession. And I really took a keen interest while I was there um, in interventional radiology and. Since I've been back in Australia, I, I've um, my business partner, Dr. Karina Graham, has a really, really strong interest in IR, and and she's doing IR procedures almost daily or every other day, and has a close working relationship with the folks at IR at AMC. So it's been really inspiring and um, impressive to watch her do those procedures. And to be honest with you, I've, I've handed off the reins of that sort of stuff to her um, because she's doing such a wonderful job. And we're actually super fortunate that one of our other soft tissue surgeons, Dr. Lorenzi Brunel, is extremely proficient in IR as well. So between the two of them, uh, they're doing the lion's share of, of soft tissue IR procedures while I'm sort of more focused these days on, on orthopedics. But, yeah, we do have a strong uh, IR department in our hospital, and, and it's really great to see that evolving. So if a younger surgeon were to join your hospital, would your colleagues be able to mentor them in, with IR procedures? There's so many cases to go around these days, and um, we have a really collegial, friendly um, workplace. That's one of the things we pride ourselves on. And, you know, it's not infrequent that I see an IR procedure going on and there's four or five doctors standing in the room together, sort of all looking at the fluoro or all looking at the patient. Um, it's really collaborative. So, you know, for a young surgeon or even medic or, or anybody who's interested in that emerging field, uh, it's quite a collaborative environment that we work, work with and our operating theatres are huge. So, um, there's plenty of space for everybody. That sounds like a dream come true for a lot of surgeons to have that collaborative environment and to see a lot of IR cases. That's just wonderful. I think it's so important. I think that these procedures inherently are difficult um, and require really good anatomic knowledge. Um, they're really precise in many occasions. Um, so you really don't want to be guessing or hoping for the best. You really want to be working with experienced people who, who know what they're doing. Um, when you, you know, when you embolize a, a, a vessel that's in the prostate gland or you're, you're doing chemoembolization, it, it has to be right. You can't, you can't make mistakes. So, um, I think having experienced folks around you is critical, especially as a young vet. And um, even, you know, to what we, we team up with human interventional radiologists, not infrequently, that come into our hospital um, because they're, they're doing this all day, every day. Uh, and so they, they really help guide us and are inspiring us as well. So tell me this. You returned to Sydney in 2017, started Veterinary Specialists of Sydney. Was that something you always wanted to do, start your own hospital, or was that just kind of an evolution of, of your career? No, I, I always had the goal of starting the hospital in Sydney. The plan I had was that, you know, I figured I'd been away from Australia for so long that a lot of the referring veterinarians wouldn't really know who I was. 
when I got back. So, you know, what my plan was to do mobile uh, surgery for a couple of years while I got my name out there and so they could see me work and then, and then transition into the hospital. And that's exactly what we've kind of done. We've, we've definitely, we opened up a hospital, which is, which is blossomed and taken off like a rocket. Um, but certainly I didn't expect to love mobile uh, surgery as much as I have and develop the relationships I have with the local veterinarians. So um, I've kind of kept the both best of both worlds. I spend a bit of time in the hospital and I spend a, a bit of time on the road still these days. But yes, the, the, to answer your question, my, my plan was always to start a hospital and, and go from there um, because I think, you know, a hospital offers you so many amazing things which you can't do on the road and the road offers you amazing things which you, you can't do in a hospital. So uh, they're both kind of complementary and, and fun. Really? And so in 2020, the Advanced Treatment Center opened its doors and the pictures, I mean, it looks like a beautiful state-of-the-art facility. Uh, how was that designed and how large is it? And just tell us a little more about the, the hospital. The hospital is, is really cool. We called it the Advanced Treatment Center on purpose because that's what it's uh, designed to be. It's, it's, really to differentiate from what we do on the mobile service, which is still advanced and complex, but the advanced treatment center is meant to be next level where we have, you know, a fantastic MRI, a fantastic CT, fantastic fluoro, state-of-the-art x-rays. Everything that we try to do there is, is to the best of our ability. Um, And so the way we designed it, that's why it's named the way it is. And the way we designed it, actually my wife was, super instrumental in, in designing it. She had a, she's a veterinary nurse, my wife. Um, she has uh, worked in a lot of large American um, hospitals. Uh, probably one of the, the main ones that inspired us was VCA West LA, which is obviously quite one of the larger hospitals in, in, in America. Um, so we designed the hospital with that one in mind, um, it, so it is a large facility. It's got big, spacious operating theatres, the big, spacious treatment room. Um, everything's kind of open plan but well thought out uh, with regards to flow. And, and we designed it with, um, with the idea that most veterinary hospitals end up growing. Um, and we didn't want to end up in a situation where we outgrew the space we were in. So we purposefully, uh, purposely um, looked for a building that would not only be fit for purpose, but a building that we could grow into. Um, I don't really know how to convert the square feet to, to square meters, but I believe it's large in the American scale. <laughs> and we have a, a second floor that we're that we um, are actually about to fit out in twenty. 20, at the beginning of 2022 or, or even at the end of this year. So um, we're about to double in, in size and go from sort of one huge treatment room to two where we divide the emergency room off from the, the ICU and um, internal medicine area. And um, the surgical suites will be um, go from two large ones to four. So we'll have six theatres in, in total. So, yeah, it's, it's a great facility, uh, really well located 
in terms of um, the the population around us. They're, they're quite um, they're pet friendly. They you know they have a lot of um, there's a lot of animals in our community, and we're really close to the beach, so we're really um, half my team is oh. surfers. Actually, it's really funny. <laughs> so, how far are you from the beach? Uh, we're only nine minutes drive or less. It's really funny. I, I didn't do this on purpose, but somehow I, I recruited a bunch of nurses and instrument nurses who have all become surfing buddies. So um, every morning you'll you'll find that there's a few of the of the, the folks down at the beach having a surf together, and then they come to work after that. Um, so it's it's pretty cool from a location point of view, and I didn't do that on purpose. That was an accident. Um, but it's it's fun watching them all sort of become these beach buddies. That's fantastic. I've always seen that on TV, but I just I didn't know yeah. it could really happen. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, it was one of those things that you know you see it on TV. And it doesn't really happen in Australia, but. It actually kind of has by accident. And what a great day to start your day. Oh, my gosh. I know. Literally, <laughs> there'll be there'll be a bunch of them in the water having a paddle, and then they'll shower off, come to work, and, and, and work. So uh, they're, they're happy. Right. I'll tell you that. And and it's, it's turned out to be a bit of a – I guess it's good. I actually was talking about it today with one of my nurses. I was like, you're all becoming surfers. And um, – I, she's like, well, at least we won't get injured. And I was like, well, you're probably right because you never really see surfers walking around with broken limbs or anything like that. So um, it, it's funny. That's a terrific way to create camaraderie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So on that note, when you founded Veterinary Specialists of Sydney, was there, did you have a specific mission statement and a culture that you wanted to create? Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, I think that um, you're hitting upon a really important topic in veterinary medicine these days because culture is going to make or break a hospital. Karina and I, who are the owners of the, of the company and, and work in it, are really big on, on hiring the right people with the right culture. And, and for us, culture is important because as we become more and more corporatized and more and more, I guess, you know, disassociated, you know, the powers that are running the hospital may not necessarily have the same agenda as the doctors working in it. We think that, you know, culture is going to stand us in good stead through the, through the future. So, yeah, we definitely founded a hospital where people are collegial and respectful and um, professional and get along with each other and, and really just know how to have fun and, and get along, um, you know, we, 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 we can laugh at each other and work together at the same time. And, and like I said before, we can, they, the girls can, guys can go for a surf together and then come to work. So a lot of people at work happen to be friends, which is great. You know, they, they, we don't encourage or discourage it, but a lot of them are hanging out together outside of work, which I think probably lends itself to the fact that, you know, if they're, if they're friends outside of work, it probably means they're friends at work, which is a really good sign for the team. Mm-hmm. And how do you encourage work-life balance for, for all of your employees? So, yeah, that's, that's obviously super important um, because, you know, I'm really big on not wanting my staff to burn out. That's the last thing we want is for people to either leave the industry or, or not, you know, not be having, you know, be overworked or overtired. So 
for us, we always make sure we look at our doctor to nursing ratios, um, and we really like that. And or well, nurses in Australia uh, equivalent to technicians, I guess, in, in the states. So we we make sure there's at least three technicians per doctor. Um, sometimes there's more. So we, we're pretty big on that, and pretty much all our staff only work a four-day week, which obviously leaves them three days to make sure that they have a life outside of work. In terms of, you know, overtime, we we don't police that heavily at all, but I don't think it's a big problem in our company with, with folks working overtime. So we're always, you know, finger on the pulse, making sure that checking in with our staff, making sure that they're happy and not overworked. Um, and we have, we even have a social committee. Um, so the, the, these people are organizing, you know, putt putt and, you know, laser tag and things like that so that um, people can do things outside of work if they want to together. That's wonderful. And mental health and culture is such a huge, as you mentioned, such a huge topic in veterinary medicine today. And obviously, it sounds like it's at the forefront of, of the priorities for veterinary specialists of Sydney. You know, it's such an important topic these days. Uh, you know, you, you really don't want people burning out. Um, we have such a shortage of veterinarians and nurses that are staying within the industry that, you know, we're all hyper aware of making sure that people are happy and people are, are not are not overworked or not feeling empowered and not feeling, you know, we want everybody to be appreciated and we know how hard it is to be a vet and a nurse because we're there doing it every day. Um, so it will only help our industry if, if our folks are happy and, and continue on in the industry. What do you find to be the most challenging aspect of owning a hospital? I think the most challenging aspect of owning a 24-hour specialist hospital is managing an emergency department um, that is, you know, going, it never rests. So for me, although I don't manage it, I'm always aware of what's going on. Um, and, you know, I think that is the biggest challenge of, of keeping that thing, that, that the emergency department well-staffed because you never know, it could be quiet one minute and busy the next. And finding that balance of having the correct number of staff in that emergency room at all times so that people aren't, you know, like we just talked about, burning out. Um, I think that's the most challenging thing of running a 24-7 hospital. I think managing specialists, while can be challenging at times, is much easier than, than managing an emergency room. Mm-hmm. And how about the most rewarding aspect? Oh, I think the most rewarding aspect of of owning a hospital or being part of a twenty four hour hospital is or a specialist hospital is is the outcomes. Uh, we've had some amazing cases um, come through our doors, as I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast gets to experience if if they're in the veterinary world. You know, we have those cases where you know you didn't think they were going to make it, and they make it or you didn't think it was possible, and, and it is possible. So um, actually, one of the first cases we had was a, um, when we opened our doors, it was probably in the first week, was a one-year-old Rottweiler. Um, I forget his name now, but he basically had an intestinal intersusception um, that went septic. And I must, you know, I must have written off that dog mentally 
five times. I thought he was going to die. I didn't think he was going to make it. And he just kept pulling through. And I just remember seeing him like turn the corner one day where he went from being a miserable puppy to suddenly, you know, I could see his strength coming back. And I thought, oh, my God, this dog's going to make it. And um, the owners, the owner was a veterinary nurse of all things. Of course, it was a veterinary nurse because it was a terrible case. Um, and and that dog's obviously still alive today, um, and he's a huge Roddy now. Um, but I think that's the most rewarding thing about being a vet is seeing those outcomes. Um, and the best part of owning a, a specialist hospital is that you get to a little bit be more in control of the destiny and outcomes of some of your patients. So, you know, we have the freedom, Karina and I, of, you know, keeping animals in hospital at lower charges or capping bills without having to go through multiple layers of management to do things like that because, you know, because we want to and because we have, we're compassionate people and we want to save these animals. So we don't do it obviously all the time and we assess each case on its merits, but, um, We've had some really cool cases where we've saved them from absolute certain death because we wanted to and because we're compassionate and because we're not corporate and because we we enjoy genuinely helping animals. Um, And I think that's by far and away the most rewarding thing about being not only in our hospital but just being a vet. That's huge. For clients that can't afford certain things, that's such a wonderful option and such a generous and that that's just got to be so rewarding to be able to to help more animals. That's wonderful to hear. So your hospital is growing so much, Dr. Levine, and you're hiring more specialists. Kind of give me an idea of what you see the growth looking like in the over the next few years. So um, yeah, you're right. Um, our hospital has uh, undergone tremendous growth in the last eighteen months, twenty months since we opened. Uh, we only opened in June 2020. And, you know, we started with a a small team of 32 staff and we're already around, you know, between 100 and 150 staff in that short period of time. Um, We've got a lot of new specialists joining us. We've got a great stream of emergency doctors joining us. And um, we're, you know, continue to expand that advanced treatment centre philosophy that that we've spoken about. Um, We're trying to go into interventional radiology in a, in a big way because a lot of our team members are, are into that. Uh, we're doing um, new cool thing, new cool surgeries on osseointegrated technology which with human surgeons. And the really cool things on the horizon are that we're um, expanding our square footage. So we've got a, a building where we're building four new state-of-the-art theatres plus expanded treatment rooms, medicine rooms, uh, procedure rooms, that sort of thing. And then, of course, we're also looking at other sites. Um, so the, the VSOS footprint throughout Sydney um, has the potential to, to go into multi-locations. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see the way we're growing and evolving um, over the next 12, to 12 months and, and beyond. Great. Can you talk a little more about your endeavors in IR and, and on the surgery side as well? Sure. Um, so interventional radiology at the moment is is quite a unique um, aspect of our hospital compared to others within Sydney. Uh, Dr. Karina Gray, my business partner, 
is quite close with, you know, Dr. Weiss and Dr. Barrent over in New York. Um, and she's really into the cystoscopic procedures, you know, such as laser ablation, um, stents, subs, that sort of stuff. We also have, uh, we're really lucky to have Dr. Lorenzi Brunel, who's a surgeon, um, who's extremely talented. She's uh, done mitral valve surgery in dogs. Um, and, but she's also really great at interventional radiology procedures as well. So between the two of them, um, we've got a really strong IR department uh, with a really cool, great fluoroscopy unit um, and, and a huge theater that, that they do the procedures in. Um, I obviously did my training at AMC, so I'm super familiar and exposed to it, but I've happily let them take the reins in, in driving that um, driving that uh, discipline, I guess, or, or branch of veterinary medicine. And, yeah, it's great to see them doing, doing so many procedures and the minimally invasive success that they're having. It seems to be a theme for VSOS that you are very supportive of your doctors and encouraging and supporting them as they pursue their professional interests. Correct. I think that's um, key. You know, we, we definitely don't take a micromanagement approach at all. We just... Um, if you're interested in something, you know, we'll do it. That's the benefit of being a non-corporate. You know, we're extremely agile in terms of if if there's a if there's a cool toy, we'll buy it. If there's a new procedure, you know, that's safe um, and has reasonable basis, we'll try it. Um, so we're super open to supporting our doctors, and that's what it's all about. You know, that's what keeps you motivated as a veterinarian. If you if you feel like you're cornered or stuck in a rut. You know, it, it limits your creativity and what your you know your passion for the industry. But if you can, if you see the hospital as a place that you know you're growing every day, not only professionally but also helping animals, um, that's going to keep you motivated, and that's the reason we do this uh, this job. My guess is your doctors feel very fortunate to have a management team and an ownership team to, to support them you know, in any endeavor. Uh, that must be a dream come true for them. Absolutely. I think um, I really feel quite strongly that being an independent and being non-corporate is really making us stronger in these times where everybody else is, is being bought out. Um, so being, you know, really family orientated, being just run by two directors, um, with a team underneath us uh, of management that are young uh, from different industries, not just vet. Um, there are obviously vet veterinary-related people in our management team, but we have that um, independent thinking and, and way of operating, which is, is refreshing, I think, in times like these. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. I've enjoyed learning more about Veterinary Specialists of Sydney. Your city sounds like a beautiful place to live. I still can't get over the fact that your team is surfing before they come in in the morning. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing your insights and spending time with me. We will talk soon. Oh, great. Absolutely. It was really a pleasure to talk with you and um, it's it's great uh, that we have this connection across two very uh, different continents. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Levine. Pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast. 
Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss an episode. For feedback, questions, discussion topic requests, or if there is anything we can do for you, feel free to contact us at laura at vetcareerservices.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast. <laughs>